This podcast is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. Learn more at shareable.fm. This podcast is Shareable. I'm your host, Jeff Gibbard, commonly known as the world's most handsome strategist and professional speaker. I'm also a superhero. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single Shareable episode. And that's it. That's the intro. Short and sweet. Let's get to the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Shareable. First of all, I want to say that if you like the sound of my voice, it's because I'm on a brand new mixer. And that's great news because today I have a guest that I've been, I haven't told you this, but I've been waiting to get you on my podcast for like four years. No, like really? legit. I've been like super, oh I, I think I asked you in Toronto or maybe I meant to, and then I got like a little butterfly, but today I have Tamsin <laughs> Webster um, on uh, Shareable. And like, this is like a milestone moment for Shareable. Uh, I'm really excited about it. Tamsin, welcome to the show. Oh, I am so excited to be here, Jeff. And I am delighted. I hope I live up to four years worth of anticipation. So I'm going to do my best. I, I feel like you will. Uh, I, I <laughs> Mitch Joel was somebody else who I like really wanted to have come on oh, the I, show for like a yeah. long time. And like when he finally came on, that was like a milestone moment for me. So like, I'm just like really just like checking all of my, my podcast bucket list. That's off. awesome. We yeah. love Mitch. Yeah, we do. Uh, and I've had, uh, I've had Tom on a couple times at this point. So I feel like we need to rebalance the scale. It's exactly. Four it's time to round times. out your Webster representation. It's true. It's true. So, ah, oh God, where do we start? So let's start here. Um, I think it would be silly of me to try and introduce who you are and what you do, because this is literally what you do for a living is to <laughs> help people to communicate these sort of things more clearly. So, yes. uh, Tamsin, who are you and what is your red thread? So I'm Tamsin Webster. I am an English to English translator, and I help make I there uh, help experts make their ideas irresistible by helping them build the stories that people will tell themselves about those ideas. I love it. I love it. So there's so much for us to unpack today. I have Yay. all of these questions and things that like I've been wanting to talk to you about for so very long. So uh, one thing, one thing I want to start with. One thing, one thing I want to start with. Um, you sent over, I know you're coming out with a book soon. So like, just like, let's not bury the lead. You're coming out with a book soon. Uh, the yes. name of it is? Find Your Red Thread, Make Your Big Ideas Irresistible. How many times have you gotten to say that so far? Like in life? Kind of like a lot, which is fun. It is fun. It's kind of weird that it's like an actual thing now though. <laughs> yeah, it's really exciting. I'm very excited for you to be uh, launching the book. It's very cool. So um, you had sent me over some stuff to look at. I have the book pre-ordered. I'm super excited to go through it, but I got a, a good chance to go through this nifty little book summary that you put together. And I'm like super jazzed for the book to come out, but there was something that like really jumped out at me and I want to read it. Okay. Um, and then I want to talk about it. Okay. You said, I wrote it for people like you who, despite their motivation and willingness to do the work, struggle to communicate how irresistible their idea really is. Gush. Oh my God. This is the, literally the story of my life. And oh, I am so, no, seriously. I mean, I'm sad for that, but, but I'm yeah, glad but, that there's a book now for you. Yeah, totally. So I think this is like, so I do a lot of work in brand and this is, this is a lot of what we do for people is yeah. help them to clarify their message. Right. And the, the thing that I have always found the most difficult, and I'm sure you have uh, dealt with this yourself or have interacted with people who deal with this is it is really hard to talk about ourselves and why mm. our ideas are so interesting or exciting or whatever. And we find ourselves trying to do the elevator pitch and doing a horrible job. Um, That's right. Uh, so, so let's just talk about that. Why do you think people struggle with that? Why is it that it's so much easier to do it for other people? Um, you know, let's just start there. All right. Uh, and it's all wrapped up together. 
So I'll ask this, the last question first, which why is it so easier for, why is it so much easier for us to do it for other people? Simple answer, distance. And with distance comes perspective. Um, and you can, you can, from the outside, get a really good understanding of, oh, I see what you're doing and what's different and awesome about that. And because you are distant from it, when you're talking to or with someone else, you can start to see how that idea that they have actually plays in the space in between. You have that ability to be far enough away from it that you can see how that idea exists, right? You can kind of just see, like you get a sense of how other people are going to receive it, which is the exact reason why it's so hard. Um, and there's lots of analogies for it. The, the, my favorite one that I just read recently was that an eye can't see itself, right? Like yeah. you have to have a mirror in order to see your own eye. And what that means with our own ideas, uh, really what happens is that, you know, there's multiple things that happen, but I think that the biggest thing is that we become expert in our own ideas, whether or not we realize it or not. Mm -hmm. And what happens with that expertise is what happens with any kind of expertise is that we, we stop using our native human tongue to talk about this, like, because we're just thinking about it to ourselves. So our brain is using just all sorts of images and pictures and shortcut phrases that make sense to, to us. And so that, that minute that we try to put it into words that other people can understand, because we actually haven't done it, we suddenly discover that the words don't exist to fully capture it. And it doesn't mean that they won't ever exist. It just means that like we've just been so close to it that we 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 see every single shape and nuance and dimension and beautiful angle on that idea but the person who's meeting it for the first time is just like is it black or white and we're like it's a trillion shades of gray um and and in that gap is where all the problems happen and that gap between how much you know and have already been convinced that your idea is the right one and the person who has never heard anything about it and has no such convictions about its rightness, um, that's where everything goes wrong. So when you explain it like that, it's interesting because my first introduction to you and your way of talking about things was you know, you were, I think my first introduction to you was like, you were introduced as like the one who helps the TEDx speakers, right? And I was yeah. like, oh my God, well, that makes perfect sense. And when I heard about the, you know, the red thread methodology and you're talking about all of those different things, I was like, oh, well, that makes sense. You do that. But the way you just talked about it sounds like it's super applicable to like day-to-day, -day, like being at a networking event and someone saying like, what do you do? And you're like, yeah, and you just like vomit out <laughs> this terrible thing. Yes. Um, so, yes. you know, I've been obsessed with this problem for I think my entire sentient semi-adult life. I mean, so, I really, I really have. It's like, it's, and I think it's because of, it's no doubt because of like preteen trauma about not being hurt, <laughs> but it really has been like this issue that's bothered me and I've been trying to crack it for years. So you're right. Yes. It, it applies all sorts of places. When did you crack it? So like I, when I was reading through the, the, you know, the parts of the framework and the methodology and all of the things I, I thought to myself, like the first thing that occurred to me was like, has she, have you had this for like 15 years or is it like <laughs> this finally came together as you were writing the book or like, how long did it take to like, come up with this very tight, applicable, usable framework? 
Yes. All right. Well, it, I, I can actually, it's fun because of TEDx and TEDx Cambridge, which is really where it, that was my lab for really putting all this into practice. Um, I really can date it and I could date it to really like the start of my business. And so the framework in its current form, like it was pretty close to how it is right now, but very close to its current form only five years ago. So I really started it in this form about five years ago. I now, thought you were going to give an exact date just there. I thought it's you were probably I, I probably could go. No, now you make me want to go back. <laughs> no, no, don't look. do it. Don't do it. It's um, don't break the. But it, it would have been yeah. Whatever. Whenever we started preparation for the October 2016 TEDx event, like because. And I know that because that was when I had first gone out on my own and I had to develop a methodology that was different than what we had been using before because that previous methodology belonged to my previous employer. So I had to come up with something whole cloth, but quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of the concepts that it's based on are the things that I've been working with and on and exploring for years and years and years. So it really was an opportunity to say, okay, I know what all the issues are when when people are trying to do this. Uh, I know what my own frustrations have been as someone who spent 25 years in brand and message strategy. I know who this needs to work for because most of my clients are business, you know, you know, business people, academics, experts, scientists, like it's got to stand up to these people. And it has to be something that they're willing, you know, they're that where they will trust it, even though I myself am not an academic, um, at least not officially, <laughs> like I'm an aspirational academic. Um, an but it really academic. is. Yeah. So it's fun though. If I go back and look, it didn't have its name. I didn't have the name, the red thread until November of 2016. And that I probably could find the exact date because it happened at a dinner with three of my very favorite people, Joey Coleman, Clay Hebert, and Mean James was when it, when I had this phrase and I had the methodology. And that was the dinner where those two got matched up, but the methodology, I can go back and look at some of those materials that I sent to those, to that year's, um, TEDx speakers. And I can, and I could see, I, I, I called them slightly different things instead of the red thread statements, they were called the skeletal sentences. Um, and I hadn't settled on the truth being the third element of the red thread. I had called it the idea. And then after a couple of years of that, just causing confusion, I finally was like, ah, it creates a moment of truth. I'm going to call it a truth, but in its current format, I'd say it's been pretty locked in now for about two or three years. That's really excellent. I absolutely love frameworks. I actually still routinely use a framework that you kind of almost casually introduced several years ago with the why, what, how, and yes, the application yeah. of the, the um, sort of the percentages of how much time you spend on each and whether that's a keynote, a kind of a, a presentation or a workshop. Yep. And it's like, it was so immediately clear um, using that framework. So I, I absolutely love the fact that you use so many different frameworks. Uh, oh, I love frameworks. I wouldn't exist without frameworks. Yeah, no, I, I think I, I would just like melt into a puddle. I completely agree. I, I like to think of frameworks almost as like magic tricks because when you use oh, yeah. them, like when you pull them out, people are like, yeah. oh my God, that thing you did was so amazing. You're That's like, right. I just did a mad lib in my head. It's so very normal. Yes, exactly. Well, as you can tell, the red thread is heavily based on Mad Libs. So, um, you know, there's two, there's two main Mad Libs that kind of are, are part of it, but I actually did a talk. I did a Ted style talk at inbound. It was a bold talk, um, where it was literally on frameworks. And I think I had something like 47 frameworks in the court case of uh, like 10 minutes. I mean, it was meant to be funny like that, but it was Got really it. meant, um, to, yeah, the name of the talk was Easy is the New Hard, which was That's such a great so title funny. that Chris Penn gave me. Um, 
uh, Christopher Penn, awakenyoursuperhero.com, uh, trust insights. Um, and yeah, I mean, the way that I describe frameworks for my brain is that they're like space bags for brain, for my brain, yes. you know, those like vacuum packed yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. So, because frameworks allow me just to think about more important things is how I kind of look at it. It's like, all right, I don't, I just want to, I want to do the work to figure out how to think about this. And once I know how to think about this, I don't have to, I don't have to spend as much time on that. I can just work on what I'm thinking. Um, but the red thread is really a product of that. You, you know, you said, what it's, what's, you know, where's one of the, why is this so hard? And, and one of the things that's become really clear to me, you know, kind of as a course of all these conversations I've been having about it is that we are, you know, most of the time we, we think about what we think. And when we, people ask us about what we're doing, you know, what we're doing or what our ideas, we describe what it is, but we, we, as much time as we spend thinking about what we think, we don't spend a lot of time thinking about how we think, but for so many things that people are looking for when it comes to their idea, where they're looking for differentiation, they're looking for power, they're looking for, you know, the kind of the depth and breadth in that idea that will allow them to build a business on it or, or a book or something like that. All of that depth, all of that power doesn't lie in what you think. It lies in how you came up with that idea in the first place, in the structure and the structural elements of that idea. Um, and that's just fascinating to me. So, you know, one of the things I really wanted to help people do is that, you know, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to answer that question, you know, no matter how often we're asked when someone's like, even, even it's just like, what are you planning on presenting in this meeting? You know, Chris at, at, you know, you know, at our update meeting next Friday, like, we're just like, uh, 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 you know, and I hate that feeling personally. So, you know, when five years ago I was given this opportunity to develop, you know, a better, a better framework for, for TEDx Cambridge. Um, I was like, actually, this is going to solve a lot of problems that I have myself. So, yay. Yeah, I dig it. So let's, uh, let's dig into it a little bit. I don't want to give away like all of the goodies of the book. And, and I definitely want to encourage everybody to buy Tamsin's book. This is like, this is definitely one of the ones that you want to pick up. I am, oh, I am you. giving that endorsement. I haven't even read anything more than like the summary of it. I just, but just from that, I know it's going to be fire. So let's start with this. Um, one, how would you kind of classify the red thread concept in general? Do you think of it as like brand, as communication, as marketing, as like self-development, as like, how do you tend to classify it for people that are trying to put you in a, I don't want to say put you in a box, but like to understand yeah. where it fits for them. Like, is it- It's a communication skill. I mean, okay. I think that's, yeah. Uh, and it's direct application um, depending on how people are using it. Um it, you know, I refer to myself as like, what I do is change communications. So anytime that you are trying to put a communication together that where you're trying to change someone's thinking or behavior, that's what this is designed to help you do. Now, obviously there's lots of places where that can happen. Um, but the places where my clients tend to use it the most are things like, um, are things like positioning, brand positioning. Um, it really came out of actually trying to bridge the gap between brand positioning and day-to-day -day content creation, because that's oftentimes there's a real, there's a, there's a breakdown there. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to give something that could help you bridge that gap. Um, and then a lot of folks use it for, yeah, structuring, structuring long, you know, short and long form content about, about their ideas, which ultimately are meant to change thinking or behavior. So it, I would consider it a communication skill. Got it. So you, you partly answered the question I was going to ask next, which is sort of like, what are some of the applications that people could consider using this for? But yeah. 
it also, uh, the other question I had about it was you talk about this idea of, of kind of these irresistible ideas or like these big ideas or making changes or so is part of the philosophy of red thread that everybody inside of them has a big idea and that these tools can help them communicate it. I think that by learning how to communicate big ideas, even before you maybe have them, that it can inspire people to think bigger ideas and do bigger things. Is that part of the kind of like ethos of it? it? Yes. Yes. Both. Yes. And it is both. Um, so it, it's absolutely there to help people who are struggling with that right now. Um, and I think it's important to define big ideas because sometimes I think people are like, well, maybe my idea isn't big. And yeah. the way that I think about it is that a big idea is any idea that serves as an answer to a question people haven't an found the answer for themselves yet, right? Because to that person, who doesn't have that answer yet, if you have an answer that will work for them, that idea is huge, right? So I don't, for me, changing the world can be a person's world, right? Like I don't, because it's it's the individual impact to me that, ma that matters, not scope and scale. Um, yep. If it changes the world at like the global scale, awesome. But yeah. you know what? We also have a dearth of ideas that change people's worlds at the individual scale. So bring them on to the second point. Yeah, I, it is. Um, while the vast majority of the work that I do is with people who are, have already have a body of work, who already have an idea and they're trying to sharpen how it gets out into the world. Um, I do have a number of clients uh, that come to me because they are trying to figure out what the next one is. Um, or what is that idea? I mean, that's a longer, that ends up being a longer engagement as you might imagine. Um, but it's actually, it can be, it's, as I've discovered, this was a happy accident, but I've discovered it's actually a really good kind of framework for innovative thinking too, because if you're saying, all right, we're not quite sure what we want to do next, but you're like, okay, well, I know I, we want to serve these people and we know we want to serve this outcome and get this outcome to happen. Like for us, well, what's the question that they're asking? All right. Well, how do most people think about it? Well, how do we think about it? Oh, okay. And why do we think that's important? Okay. Well, and if that's important, then where does that lead us? Like how now, since those things are all true, what, how would we, you know, what would our answer be? What makes sense to us now? And a lot of times that pops out a new idea um, just by kind of using that structure that your brain is using anyway, to make sense of information, to make sense of something that hasn't actually even happened yet to something you haven't thought about yet. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm big into efficiency, um, yeah. back to frameworks. Uh, and so, you know, this is just, you know, after all the testing and the experimentation and all the refinement I've done on it, it really is just kind of the fastest way I found to kind to, to really get to even to a new idea. Um, and that's exciting. I love that. That's my favorite. Yeah. So like, you know, everything I know about strategic thinking, uh, one of the big things is starting with the goal and kind of working backwards. So as I looked through your methodology that's laid out there, I was like, man, this seems like it would be such an important uh, tool to be able to take ideas that you already have and clarify them and do all that. And if you're looking for the next idea, cool. But if you're just someone who's like, man, I don't feel any direction or anything, even seeing what these steps are could could put you in that position. We talked about Mad Libs earlier, kind of like, well, what does that mean for me? And started mapping yeah. onto yourself. I see it as a very aspirational tool. And I've always liked that concept of the red thread because I tend to think about everything we do in business as being just an extension of what we do as people. So I, I yeah. like the idea that this is something that, um, you know, it, even in uh, some of the ways you've talked about it, you talk about this can help you in your business, but also like it could even help you discover where you want to go personally. Right. So I, yeah. I just appreciate that part of it. 
So um, I want to talk a little bit about the process. You don't have to give away everything. Obviously, yeah. it's up to you how much you want to give away. But like, I'm, I'm, <laughs> if you want to talk about the red thread process, I also there's another piece of this that I thought was really, really interesting in here. Uh, and I don't know whether this fits before or after the process, but you have a section where you talk about a unique and universal story, like yeah. both. And yeah. I found that such an interesting um it's not like an oxymoron, but like, it's like a thing like an oxymoron where it's like- yeah, It's a paradox. It's, it's yeah, like, uh, that's, it's a what paradox. that's what I was thinking yeah. of, paradox. So like, yeah. how can you be both unique and universal at the same time? And I don't know if that comes before or the after the process, but I'll let you decide when. Where, I think it's going to go before because it, okay. it gives me a good segue to the process. So it is the, how, the reason why that's possible, uh, why it can be unique and universal at the same time is it brings us back to Mad Libs, Jeff, um, because- each of us makes sense of information and makes sense of the world around us in very much the same way. This is true. Like no matter like who you are and like you know where you may be on the the neurodivergent scale, the way that humans make sense of information is we create what people generally refer to as stories. Now we can mean that as actual stories, like, you know, when we didn't understand where the sun came from, like, well, that was the, you know, that was the, that was the sun God that brought it up. Or when we didn't understand like what was happening with storms, well, those were angry gods in the, in the, in the, in the, in the world. I was listening to a great, one of my favorite podcasts this morning, Curiosity Daily, and they were speaking with a, a physicist uh, named Chandra Prescott Weinstein. And she was arguing that science is storytelling, that physics is storytelling. It's just, which I loved because really when it comes to stories, what we really mean by that is that we're coming up with an explanation of how the world works or how we work because it just makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, related to that, I read a really interesting article re recently was arguing that psychology is the new mythology, um, meaning it's not that it's not real. It's just that, you know, now that we, you know, now that science has taken over and we know that it aren't, they aren't necessarily like sun gods that are putting the sun in the sky. You know, we've come to try to come up with different ways of explaining how we work. So all of us do this and all of us do this, A, pre-consciously and B, in the structure of an explanation, which happens to follow the structure of a story. So I discovered that piece of information and I was like, okay, well, this is how we process information. Wouldn't it make sense to deliver new information following the structure that people's brains are looking for anyway? Point one. Point two, I was like, well, okay, there must be a reason why once upon a time stories are structured the way they are. Um, after all, there's kind of this old saw about storytelling that a story is an argument, which is if you, you know, pushing that forward, it's just another word for an explanation. It's an explanation, but it's like arguing for an idea. So I started to say, well, what would happen if we mapped over these kind of main elements that drive change and the transformation that is what every story is about back onto these kind of brain stories? Does that work? And that's where we ended up. So the red thread as, you know, the methodology is really these five once upon a time story points that map over to our kind of brain story points. Um, and so that's the universal piece. We all do this, all stories have these five elements, all, you know, our brains are, all of us, all our brains are always looking for these five elements in order to make sense of things. That's, that's that point. What's unique about it is that each of us fills in those blanks in, in a very, 
unique way. I mean, what each of us put, puts those things together in, if it isn't fully unique, the math works out, like just the factorials of all of that, where it would be as, I, it just is, it's just different. Like you just, nobody has, like nobody sees the world exactly the way that you do. Um, and so that's where you get this paradox where, where actually both sides are true, which is you can have a completely unique idea that because it's presented using this universal structure, you can make that completely new, unique information make complete sense to somebody else on their first hearing. Doesn't mean they're always going to agree. Doesn't mean they're always going to act on it. But you can make sure that it makes complete sense to them on first hearing. And to me, that's like just this side of magic. Um, but I, I, another article I read recently just said, but what is magic if not, or what is science if not magic explained? So I love that. There's so much here. And I, I love this idea of sort of like a shared way of understanding the world. Yep. And there's, you know, there's even like philosophies around like the idea of shared language, how there's really mm -hmm. no such thing as shared language. Everybody relates to the words in languages differently. So like, it's, it's all just about like sort of a general understanding of what yes. each other is saying and we get yes. close enough. So it's sort of like the same thing is true in storytelling and in, in shaping narratives that two people can make sense of. Right. Um, yeah, it's kind of like, I mean, the way, I, another way to think about it is that, that, you know, every human generally has the same set of bones in their skeleton and they're mm -hmm. arranged in the same way. And yet every human, you know, from, you know, even if their DNA is identical, even though science is increasingly showing that even identical, quote unquote, identical twins are not fully identical, mm -hmm. like everything starts to get different from then on. The same thing is true of stories. And so, you know, one of the things that bothered me about a lot of the story-based stuff that was out there, because that was one of my first stops. I was like, okay, well, if we all make sense of story, let me try out all these other frameworks that already yeah. exist around storytelling and, and all of that. And, you know, there were certain things that just, that, that either didn't work for me and therefore I didn't feel like they would work for the people I was working with, or that I was like, but that, that doesn't make sense. And like, so one of the things was, is that, you know, for good reason, there's a lot of focus put on what most people know as the hero's journey, Joseph yeah. Conrad, like, you know, it's the quest story. It's, you know, uh, you know, it's Luke Skywalker and Star Wars, like it's a, it's class, like it's classic. And the reason why the hero, hero's journey, um, the mono myth is a really good go-to, and it is, is because there generally is a version of the hero's journey in like every culture. So that's great except for the fact that it's not the only story format. So that was part of what started it. I was like, yeah, but, you know, particularly in the context of TEDx Cambridge, I'm like, I cannot have like these seven talks all sound the freaking same. And if they all follow the hero's journey at some level, they're all going to start to feel the same. And mm -hmm. that's not okay. Um, another you know, potential issue that I've seen sometimes with the hero's journey is that the, the mentor plays a really strong role. And if you apply the hero's journey to let's say brand communication and the brand takes on the role of the mentor, then what can happen unintentionally, but if you're not careful about this, it will happen is that you, the, the tone of the message starts to become really kind of condescending towards the customer saying like, well, you couldn't do it without us. BS, as far as I'm concerned, these people are perfectly capable of doing it if they just have the information from it. And, you know, they don't have to have a mentor. Um, sometimes we figure stuff out on our own. It happens, right? 
Um, and the third thing that was a problem for me, especially given the people that I work with who are like super busy, didn't have time, was that the hero's journey, depending on which version of it you look at, is somewhere between seven and 12 steps. Yeah. And I was like, mm, this is not going to work. So I expanded my research and I was like, well, what else is out there? How else do people do this? And how do we have, you know, thousands upon thousands of stories and movies and books and, you know, shows and whatever that, you know, if they all follow a three act structure from Aristotle and if they all fall, you know, like there must be other ways to do this. And so I just kind of sifted and sifted and sifted and sifted until I was like, this is it. Like, okay, the, the simplest way I can do it is to actually look at what are the endpoints of each act. How, because if I can understand what, you know, I, if I need to go from A to Z in, in, a, in an act of a story, well, if I can identify A and Z, then it tells me what I need to do in between. And that's kind of how, where it started. And that's how I ended up with the pieces of the red thread that I did, because they map to those endpoints or the key points in the arc of all stories. I'm super glad you brought up the hero's journey and, uh, you know, uh, sort of illusory, you brought up the story brand framework and, um, the, the sort of the complicated steps in it, the seven to 12 of them. Like I've even in working on the story brand framework with people, I'll usually condense like two of the steps together. I'll kind of group them in twos. I'm like, no, there's only three steps. Um, <laughs> yeah. And of- I know that mine has five, but I honestly, like in the apocryphal words of Einstein, it was, this, it truly is as simple as I could make it. You yeah. cannot make it any simpler. Yeah. And, and I, I agree with you. I think like this idea that there's only one story format is kind of silly. And I think, you know, even just looking at movies, you can see that they kind of deconstruct and play with that and move 100%. time, zone, time yeah. around. So I guess the, the, what I wanted to ask you about was you have five steps in yours. Is there a sequencing to them or can you use these in any order whatsoever? Sequencing is important. Um, And sequencing is important. The sequence is important to a certain extent. Okay. So let me start say, you know, for like the 101 first time you're going through this, I really don't suggest that you mess with the order at all. Um, But if we think back to like the three act structure of a story. So for folks that aren't familiar, like, you know, back to Aristotle, Aristotle was basically saying that the simplest story format was that there was three acts, three kind of big phases of change. One is set up where you figure out what's going on. Second is conflict where things go wrong. The world is upended and the resolution is what happens. Um, uh, my friend and call, you know, fellow storytelling colleague, Park Howell talks about like, you can reduce a story, you know, those three acts, even to nonverbal where it's like, oh, uh oh, ah, <laughs> so good. So good. That's one of those things I'm like, oh, I wish I came up with that. Um, advanced storytelling will tell you that you can actually put the acts of a story in different orders. You can actually play around. You can start in the middle and then go back. You can start at the end and then go, but that the, that, that the elements within each act usually don't flip around very much. Um, even if you take like a movie, like a memento, right? Like it's just reversed, right? They didn't, they didn't like put things out of order. And let me say, could you put these things out of order? Absolutely. Will it be as efficient and effective if they're out of this order? No, because the brain wants to know the, these questions. Like the first question is like, you know, in any story, the moment that we get engaged is when we know what the main character wants. And that's the moment we start to pay attention. And then we will particularly pay attention if that person wants what we want. 
because they're like, wait, I've got that thing too. What happens? I want to see what happens. And then, and then what's going to happen is that something is going to be revealed as standing in the way, the reason why you haven't gotten that thing. There's going to be a problem that stands in the way of that goal. Um, and you want to know what happens. And we want to know why that thing is such a, uh, you know, why is it such a problem? Things are going to happen until there is this moment of truth where all of a sudden you have to make a choice. You're like, either I, I'm, you know, that character is not going to get the thing that they want, or they're going to like have to not believe something that they come to believe, or they're going to have to do something different. And one of those things will happen. And so that leads to a change of thinking or behavior. And then there's actions that carry that out. And then, you know, when the story is over, when you go back and you look at that initial question and say, did it get answered? Did they get what they wanted? So, you know, the thing is, is like, can you can you get can you get to all of those pieces eventually? Yeah, it's why it's so much easier to to give a sixty minute keynote than a ten minute TED talk because over that amount of time you'll eventually give somebody all the information usually that they need to make sense of what you're saying. But when you only have ten minutes or eighteen minutes or thirty seconds, you have to make sure that you you are wasting no time and that the if you if you give them nothing else, give them the core elements of what they're going to need to make sense of it. So, uh, back in 2010, I had my first speaking engagement and I was scared like shitless basically. Yeah. Um, cause here I am, I think I was like, uh, what was it? I was 30 at the time and I had never set foot on stage and I was about to be in front of 150 people, which at the time I thought was like an immense, an immense number of people. Feels like so many. It I know it does. So many sometimes, but so I had no idea what to do. So I called up Jason Falls. I had actually recently like made a connection with him and we had talked and gone out to a ball game before. And I was like, you've been on stages. Like, what do I do? It was a 90 minute talk. And he told me, break it down into three 30 minute segments. Mm -hmm. So that made perfect sense to me. And now whenever I give a talk and I, it's a 60 minute talk, I might think, okay, this is three 20 minute segments or four 15 minute segments, right? So you've got five parts and you just mentioned like a 10 minute Ted talk. Yeah. I'm curious as you go through the, the five different elements of it, do you think that there's one that makes more sense to spend more time on or one that's most important? Are all five of these equal weight and importance? Like, what like yeah. the red thread methodology without giving it away ties all of these things together to make something yeah. that's really cohesive and makes sense. And it makes people go, ah, I get that. And like, I resonate with that. Yes. Is there a critical point in those that makes that happen? Is okay. it, the, is it the truth? Is it, you know, one of the other yeah. elements, like how does it happen? Yeah. So I, I will tell you that through experiment experience and kind of just how it all works, like that every, every time you need to make sense of your idea, all five elements need to be there. Um, where you spend time depends on what your audience doesn't does or doesn't know already and what they will or won't be resistant to. Is this another why, what, how? It is exactly why, what, oh, how. So yes. it's exactly the same thing. So for instance, you know, for folks that don't even know what the problem is, like they don't even understand, like they have a question, but they don't understand really what's getting in their way, which is a classic why problem. It's a classic kind of setup for a keynote. You're going to spend most of your time, right? We've talked about this before, two thirds to three quarters of the time, moving them from the goal, their original question, through to the understanding of the real problem 
right? And cementing that real problem with the truth. And then in the last like third or quarter of the talk, you're just going to say, and so at a high level, like, let me show you high level, like this is fixable. And here's the highest level explanation of how you're, you're not going into detail. For folks that are kind of aware of what the nature of the problem is, and, or they're not going to be terribly resistant when you introduce it. So they may not know, but once the once you give it to them, they're like, yeah, that makes sense. It's the obvious um, head nod. Yeah. And they're like, oh yeah, I get that. We but can all the, agree that pizza's delicious. Like, right. Yeah. Exactly. But if the if your solution, right, is a little bit unconventional, you're going to have to do a little bit more setup of that. That's the classic what now talk where you're going to probably spend kind of half your, half your time now getting to that truth and the change, which is really the pivot point to what do you do? And the last half of the talk kind of, all right, let's put this into play high level. What does that look like? Go. And then for folks that are right, like already on board, like they already know they've got the problem as you've, as you've defined it. And they already understand kind of the nature of the solution as you see it and agree with it and agree with both of those things. Those folks, you can probably introduce like in, in 30 seconds, 60 seconds, sometimes it's five minutes, depends on how much time you have. You can just kind of use that as almost as your setup. And then you spend the rest of the time talking about, let's say the three big ways to actually put this into practice because you don't have to make the case. The thing that I see most often when people you know, want me to take a look, you know, because the people will hire me to look at their talks the way they are right now. And the, the biggest mistake I make is that people presume that they don't need to spend time on making that case up front. And I'm like, yeah, yeah you do. <laughs> like, this is, you know, this is, you, you're making some pretty big assertions here and you haven't actually backed that up. Um, but yeah, it's absolutely that. So it really depends on backing up as I talk about in the book and really understanding who your audience is um, and, you know, how close are they to, you know, to where you want them to be, right? In order to, 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 to adopt the change in thinking or behavior that your idea is all about. I always appreciate that when I talk to you, it, it causes me to think about literally every project that I'm working on and all of my brand stuff and everything that I'm doing. And it makes me just want to like sit down and go through all my keynotes and all my brand stuff and just answer questions. So <laughs> thank you for that. Thank you You're so welcome. for existing, <laughs> being you. Um, I know we, uh, we're running out of time, so I want to give you a chance to tell people where they can learn more about you, where they can uh, pre-order the book, where they can uh, hire you to help them on, you know, coming together coming up with their own uh, red thread idea to, for their presentations or, or anything that uh, anything you want to talk about this point in the show is really yours to promote the hell out of yourself. Awesome. Well, uh, fabulous. Well, the, all things related to the book can be found at redthreadbook.com. Decided to make that super easy. Um, if you get that, that's actually going to redirect you to my site. So once you're there, you can start to poke around the other places of my site. But um, on that red thread book, so depending on when people hear this, um, they will either see the goodies for pre-orders or they will see the goodies for just, you know, hey, thanks for ordering. Um, uh, and uh, hopefully that'll, you know, give them some good stuff. You also get to see the very kind things that people I respect very much had to say about the book, which was very it's was, it was a lovely moment when those people endorsed my book. Um, as far as uh, how I work with people, that's also on the site. You can find that. Um, the main thing I do, honestly, is what I call red thread, you know, a series of red thread sessions. And that's usually when people are trying to, you know, if they haven't worked with me before and they're really trying to say, okay, I have this idea. I need to, I need to get it out into the world. You know, 
we walk through exactly the process that I have in the book. And I, and I mean that, like I, there is nothing held back in the book other than the back and forth that happens in real time. And that, that is the process. Um, you know, those, you know, that is the way that we do it. That's the order that we do it. Um, but it walks you through so that you, you get to a point where you really feel like you have found the tightest, most powerful, most you version of that idea. And that, that to me is actually a really important part um, of what I do one-on-one is I spend a lot of time and I'm just kind of listening to make sure that whatever we're coming up with is something that the person I'm talking to really does seem to be excited themselves about. Because um, I think a lot of times, you know, given a lot of the, re- you know, the recommendations and the, and the advice that's out there, I think we spend a lot of time thinking about what we think, what ideas we should put out there other than, rather than the ideas that we must put out there um, because we can't imagine not putting them out there. And so, you know, one of the things you had said earlier was, you know, it was one of the, one of the kind of tenets, core tenets of the book, the, the idea that everybody has a big idea in them. Um, yes, a hundred percent. Yes. Uh, is everybody willing to do the work to get there? No, not based on my experience. Not everybody's willing to do that work because it, it is work. Um, and sometimes these, these ideas that you're drawn to put out there in the world require you to be quite vulnerable um, and quite different than maybe you've represented yourself or that you know people have chosen to see you to date. Um, and that can be hard. And you know another way that it can be hard is that sometimes you have an idea that is such a good idea and you just haven't proven it yet. And you know I see this a lot time, of times when people come to me with to work an idea that they may want to try to get to a TEDx stage. Um, and a lot of cases, they just, it's a good idea. They just haven't, they haven't gotten the proof yet. They haven't gotten that burden of proof yet. So that takes work as well. But, um, that was me just getting back excited about people's ideas, but all at redthreadbook.com, which will get you to tamsandwebster.com and all things red thread. I am so glad you wrote this book. Um, I like things that make me smarter and more capable and more capable of helping people. And as Mm -hmm. someone who is, constantly in love with my own ideas and constantly trying to make an impact and trying to communicate these things that I think will make a difference in the world. I am so glad that you wrote a book to help people like me who uh, don't have enough distance from themselves to be able to clarify and speak in their human voice about it. Um, so <laughs> yeah. it, it, I am truly grateful that you put it together. I'm really looking forward to the release. I don't I don't just like puff up people's books just because um, like I'm genuinely excited for your book mm-hmm. to come out and I genuinely want my audience to go and buy it um, because Thank I just, you. I love the work that you do and I, I love how you package things and you always have a way of making things so clear. Mm-hmm. Um, I could talk to you for hours upon hours, but I know we both <laughs> yes, have to please. go. Yes, please. That was fun. Um, okay, I, know. And, I know. And I know later on uh, we had scheduling issues, but I know you're going to come back to do um, a I mic am. swap with us, which is yes. really exciting. And then uh, uh, Think Fast. So I'm really excited about those. But um, this episode like, is definitely going to be on my my sticky recommended featured list. Um, I loved having you on. I think it was awesome. I think it's something that people should listen to start to finish. They should do it twice. They should share it with somebody. <laughs> they should tell somebody about it, which I guess makes it shareable. Wait. Don't leave. If you've never listened to my fancy outro, do it just once for me, please. Okay, if you enjoy Shareable and you find it valuable, there's a few ways that you can support the show. One, you can share it on social media, which I strongly encourage. I mean, it's literally the name of the show, Shareable. 
Two, you can review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're an Overcast user, as many of my listeners are, make sure to click that star button on the episodes that you like. The third way that you can support the show is by blogging about it or discussing it on your own podcast or even by making a YouTube video where you talk about one of the episodes. And then the final way that you can support the show is by supporting it directly on Patreon. You can find the link in the show notes. Now, before I let you go, I want to tell you about one other thing. You see, Shareable is just one of many projects that I'm working on at any given time. I've got another podcast called Rogue. I do a live streaming show every week called The Heroic Council. I've got a blog where I release a blog post twice a week. And if you're looking to keep up with all sorts of different content that can help you grow and become a superhero in life, I want you to check out jeffgibber.me. That's where I list all of my current projects and projects that are coming up in the future, including my forthcoming book, The Lovable Leader. It would mean a lot to me if you could go and check out some of the other things I've worked on because I put just as much of my heart into those projects as I do into Shareable. Thank you so much for being a listener. Thank you for being a supporter. And I hope to see you here on the next episode of Shareable.